0: Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast. Today I'm joined by Sean Platts, who I first got to know through um, uh, WriterDad, which was um, uh, possibly his first blog. I'm not sure. We'll find out in a second. And um, (laughs) he's since gone on to huge, wild success with uh, serial fiction, which is what I want to talk about today. Hello, Sean.
1: Hey, it's awesome to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, we're very pleased to have you. So um, before we uh, get onto the nitty-gritty of Yesterday's Gone and serial fiction and all that kind of thing, how about a bit of an introduction from you as to, um, uh, I guess, a bit about your early story uh, with writing and uh, how you got to be where you are now, if that's okay?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I've been writing for um, a little more than four years now. Um, I didn't didn't want to be a writer growing up. This wasn't like a, a lifelong dream at all. Uh, I always saw myself as as more of an entrepreneur than anything, and I I actually didn't think I could write. I know I I mean I assumed I don't really know where commas go. <laughs> yeah, I mean I do now, but five years ago I would have thought I wouldn't have ever put myself in the shoes of a writer. Um, my wife, who you know, she had been trying to get me to write for like ten years. I mean, really, on our first date, she started telling me I should write. And that's because she's a teacher and I figure she thinks everybody can be a writer. But that's totally not for me. Um, And I wrote her letters all the time. Even when we lived together, I would write her letters and mail them. And um, just because I love her, but it didn't make me a good writer. (laughs) As good good reason as any, I think. (laughs) Well, yeah, I figure I can write to you, but that doesn't mean I can write you know fiction or i can write anything really um and i mean my first love was uh is film you know i really really love film and i mean i love reading i love stories so she just you know i I, i'm a rambly talker and she just figured hey you know if you can write like you speak then you know you you're a storyteller just sit and write and i didn't listen to her forever and um I owned a small chain of flower shops, and she was a teacher. And when our children were first born um, – well, actually, no. It was when my son, who is my youngest, um, when he was one year old, we I was working just crazy, crazy hours at the flower shop. And I realized, you know, he's going to be five before I know it, and I'm going to be really sad, and I'm going to think, where did these years go? And my daughter was three and a half, and so I got a crazy idea, which – I tend to do and Cindy was like willing to follow my crazy idea which she's tends to do and um, she agreed to leave her, her job at um, with the school district um, which was all of our benefits and all of that um, our steady paycheck and I left the flower business and we bought a an old Victorian house in downtown Long Beach, California which is where we lived at the time and we opened a preschool so We would run the preschool out of the bottom floor and we lived on the top floor. And I thought that'd be a really cool way to kind of spend the next few years until our children were both in school. And um, then we'd figure out what was next. And that was when my daughter went to kindergarten two years after we started the school that um, I was really sad because she was gone all of a sudden. And I'd spent every day for two years with her and I just kind of missed her. And Cindy just said, look, why why don't you just pretend I'm right and go into a room and write. Get your feelings out. And so I did. I spent four years – I mean, sorry, four months writing from September to December. And I didn't write anything about Haley or her going to school. It was just – I don't know. I was venting feelings in another way. And I wrote – on the last day of the year, I printed out a 600-page novel and wow. <laughs> I I realized, you know what, I can, I can do this. And the book itself is absolutely horrendous, terrible, unreadable, but it doesn't really matter. It's still like one of the most significant things that I've ever written, hmm. simply because it taught me that I could sit in a chair for four months and, and write something. And this was, you know, while I was also juggling working in the preschool. So this was only in a few hours a day, but... I, I had 600 pages and I knew that I can do this. I, I can. It was like 100,000 words or so. And I thought, you know, what, I, I know I can do this. Um, and at that point, I was kind of um, – I'd like to use the word naive but probably <laughs> stupid is a better word. Um, I was stupid enough to believe that I could go online and use my way with words to make money. Um, in a short period of time. And is, and, that, is that
0: where writer, where writer Dad
1: came in? Uh, yeah, Writer Dad actually was when I first, first started writing, and I was just kind of practicing with my voice. And I actually chose the name Writer Dad because I was anonymous. Um, hmm. You know, I, I didn't want to put my name out there. I just kind of wanted to uh, experiment with writing for an audience, I guess. And I, 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 I thought it would take a long time to get one. And both fortunately and unfortunately, I got a lot of attention almost immediately. Um, It was within a month of writing, I was getting like 100 comments per per post. And I made, again, I'd like to use the word naive, but it's probably just stupid. (laughs) Um, uh, The mistake of thinking that that kind of attention would easily lead to currency, which is totally ridiculous. I mean, if you don't have a funnel or a plan or any way to monetize your online behavior, you're not going to make any money off of it. And the thing was, I mean, I've always thought in terms of, um, in fact, my my sister who came to visit me a, a couple of months ago said it, that it really surprised her that growing up, I never thought of myself as creative, which is true. I never thought of myself as creative at all until recently. And she said, that always amazes me that you wouldn't think of yourself as creative because you're one of the most highly creative people um, that I've ever met. And one of the things that makes you creative is the way you see the larger picture and how you can always see a way to get from A to B and and, and, and monetize it. And I think that's true. I, I was selling candy bars on the playground at 10. Like that's <laughs> always been kind of like part of my little deal but i got really dumb when i got online and i thought that it was somehow magical the internet was magical but well, we're,
0: we're led to believe that it's magical though this is kind of this is something i've talked about on the podcast before there's a lot of there are a lot of blogs written which are intended to make people when they're first starting out think that it's easy and yeah. and and th- this is some sort of magical thing which will happen to anyone but it doesn't i mean making money out of blogging is is a very very uh well, it's very unlikely that that's going to happen to you. It it's takes an awful very, lot It's
1: very, very unlikely. And and the more – it was funny because there was this direct uh, line with the, the better I got at doing it, the less I wanted to do it.
0: Mm. And why, um, why is that, though? Do I mean the better you got at making money out of blogging, uh, yeah, the less because you wanted to do it?
1: Well, I, I spent a lot of time as a ghostwriter. Um, mm. b- because after after the first half a year of writer dad, I realized, "Oh my god, I'm 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 in a lot of trouble right now." Um, because Cindy believed that I could do it and so we closed the preschool and I did this full time. But you know, she didn't have an income and my income was coming from whatever I could make online, which was nothing and we're we're, you know, we're juggling a Southern California mortgage at the top of the real estate market. So this was just really, really hard. And I was basically writing keyword articles. Mm. And, um, so I was making $10 an article and, um, having to write, you know, 10 to 20 a day. And so I, the, 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 I mean, that, <laughs> it's like everything that was really hard ended up being the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. So, for example, those keyword articles which I hated, and even writing my fingers—like I, w- I would write my fingers, and I mean, bloody—I pr- mean, I'm exaggerating a little, but not much. <laughs> I mean, I was typing all day long as fast as I can, I, mean, I was cranking out, you know, five to ten thousand words a day um, of just crap keyword copy which is the dead skin of the internet if you don't know what keyword copy is like that's really it's just the worst stuff ever but i needed to feed my family and um you know i I'd, I'd got us into this trouble i was going to get us out mm-hmm. and i was going to do it one keyword at <laughs> a time damn it and um and so that was really really hard but it taught me to write fast because i had to write fast to make money and so that was a really really great skill after I grew out of that and I started um, copywriting, you know, so I could write one sales letter and make the same with one letter that I made in a month writing keyword articles. Um, that kind of copywriting really helped me when I transitioned to fiction. It helped me with open loops and keeping people on the page. Mm-hmm. And um, copywriting is the best practice for being a fiction writer I could have ever had. I love, love, love that I I had that experience. And if I hadn't gone through the time where I, I needed to make money writing, I never would have learned the the fiction tricks that helped me with serial fiction. And I would have been more concerned about um, the way things sounded instead of what they did. I and mean, it's that's
0: a- Sorry, I, mean, that's, I find that really interesting because I, I had a very similar experience and people are often surprised. So I've been a copywriter. That's kind of been my, my proper job, if you will, <laughs> um, <laughs> working for a design agency and previously a university where I was just um, um, primarily... Um, in fact, at as the as design agency, it was a lot more creative, but those first three years, my, my first job almost, was um, writing. It was writing plain English entries for a, a university prospectus. So I would get articles that were kind of, let's say, 200 words long and my job was to make sure that they were absolutely plain English so there was no confusion about any of the information. And I usually had to cut it cut it down by half as well. And that that, that incredibly strict editing process, most people um, uh, are surprised to find, really helped my fiction. I think that they would imagine that it would take all the creativity out of writing fiction. But actually, it just taught me how to edit properly.
1: People, people readers crave clean copy and... I mean, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I do best is take things from good to great. And that's one of the reasons I like collaborating a lot because I'll get copy and, and I can really shape it. And I'll get a 50,000 word draft and take 10,000 words out. Mm-hmm. And there's missing from the story, you know? And that's, that's the kind of thing a reader doesn't even realize until they're like turning pages so fast. And you don't want to waste a reader's time. And that's the worst thing you can do. So that 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 copywriting experience was great. But once I once I was writing real copy and real sales letters and things like that, I got a lot of um I got a lot of ghostwriting jobs, um, putting together info products and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it kinda soured my taste on the whole thing and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I really started wanting to write fiction and I, I just, you know, I, I think the overlords at Amazon every day because they kinda um, they gave guys like us a, a, a shot, you know. <laughs> like yeah. it's not it, all I got to do is is upload to Kindle and let the readers decide, and I, I really like that. So that's. What- all the background.
0: Yeah, sure. well, I mean, I remember, and, and moving on to the serial fiction, I remember getting an email from you. I, you know, I'm not even sure when it was. I've had, I've had uh, all sorts of... I've got married and had twins and all kinds of things happened to me since then. But <laughs> it was a while ago. It must be a couple of years where you first... Um, I got an email from you about serial fiction. And um, you, uh, you said that you were starting this project called Yesterday's Gone. And I remember the first... The, the thing I remember about it most was the book trailer... And it was the first time that I'd seen a book trailer that was put together by, um, well, I assume by by you, uh, <laughs> and, um, and it was it was good. It was professional. It was sort of well done, and it kind of it, it more than did did the job. And I thought, well, this is kind of you know a, a great start. And I kind of I, I thought I can I can see this working. But at the time, um, at the same time, I think I thought, well, serial fiction sounds like a tricky thing to do so why did you wh- what was it that made you decide to do something different because that's what it that's what it is i think i think that's the most you the best thing about what you've done is the fact that you didn't go down a tra- well you didn't go down a traditional route but you also didn't go down a traditional self-publishing route either um <laughs>
1: it's very much its own thing i'm not much for for tradition either way no uh- you know, in fact, I what started me on the whole self-publishing thing. What started me online was because I wrote some children's stuff, and I submitted it to an agency in New York, and they told me that they thought it was fantastic, but that the vocabulary was too rich for children, and I, I, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to just get my own audience then, because there is no such thing as too rich for children. I think that's a ridiculous thing to say, mm. and. So, so that's what – I registered writer dad that weekend, actually. Um, and that's kind of what started the whole thing. And what started the serialized fiction was um, Dave and I, my, my writing partner at Collective Inkwell, which is where we do all the serialized stuff, uh, we, we tried to um, – our first novel, which was called Available Darkness, and it was a vampire book, but we really tried to not make it a vampire book. Uh, we we treated the vampires differently. They're parasites from another world, and it's all pretty cool. But we tried to serialize that, and we did it through a blog. We just did new blog posts every Friday, and they were serialized. And um, we really like the format. We're we're big um, we're big fans of what I see right now is kind of a golden age of television. I think I think television is fantastic right now. There's yeah. a lot of sh- love, you know, that are serialized. Uh, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, you know even back to the Sopranos, um, there, there's really, really good television. And I love, I love serialized TV and so does Dave. And it, so that love was what started it on, on the blogging front. But when we actually published it, uh, I mean, first of all, Kindle makes it possible. Uh, you could never do serialized the way we do it in print. Uh, it just, you can't, I mean, we put out a book every single week and you couldn't do that in print. Um, so when we started, the reason why was and, – and again, I've got I've to give mad props to my, uh, my copywriting and marketing background at this point because I was, we actually had a book out, which was Available Darkness. We, we ended up finishing that, putting it out, and it was time to market that. And I said, you know what, Dave? The stupidest thing we can do right now is market this book because it's – and we have to split the money. And do you know how many copies we have to sell to feed our families? split this like what we need to do is write something else and really build an audience and because the worst thing we can do is have a reader fall in love with us with nowhere else to go Hmm. We need us a lot of titles and i the idea and this was back you know in the 99 cent time when a lot of writers were i mean a lot changed just in two years a lot of writers at the time were putting out 99 cents and thinking oh i'll just sell 99 cent books well that doesn't work because you have to sell so many books at 99 cents it's just the the authors who actually can do that bear i mean they really don't exist mm. and um i thought the idea of writing you know six books was kind of the number i figured we needed the idea of writing six books for 99 cents cuz it is a volume thing you know if somebody likes you they go and buy the rest of your stuff and i thought the idea the, the, the odds of somebody finding us and and Buying six are slim enough you know, within the first few months. Um, but th- the odds of us writing six quality books <laughs> and getting them out – this was in uh, July is this conversation. And I wanted to have an established presence in Amazon by Christmas so that all the people who got shiny new Kindles under their tree could buy our stuff in January. Um, and I thought the best way to get six titles would be to serialize a season of something. And that was the magic right there, the kind of the secret sauce, was that I didn't want to serialize a book. And a lot of the early criticism that we got um, before, you know, it was back in that October when I first contacted you, um, which is funny because you know I expected I'd be able to at least kind of like lean on my, um, my network that I'd built over a few years. and I did 60 guest posts, interviews, blog posts guess you know blah 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 uh, including some really big sites um and that moved an entire 100 copies <laughs> it, um you know it's it's really about amazon you, you need to leverage the amazon platform and their recommendations and they're also viewed and people who like this like this like that's the way of making it work yeah. and it really was a volume game. I wanted to have a lot of those pages. And I figured six titles serialized was better than one title. Um, and and, and, it, and it worked. But I knew also that we couldn't go. We had to change language because the critics from successful authors who were coming back to us and saying this doesn't work. People don't want their, their book broken into pieces. And they were right. But they weren't getting what I was doing. And it wasn't taking a novel and breaking it pieces dave and i never wanted to do that we were actually taking the television model and transporting it to kindle which i hadn't seen done and it seemed so obvious to me that it was only a matter of time before somebody did it and so it was important to migrate that language over which you know we see a lot of it on kindle now but at the time nobody had done it and we didn't call our we didn't call any of our on any of our stories books we called them episodes and when we had six episodes we called it a season and i thought that was you know really efficient shorthand for the um for the reader it, it tells exactly what kind of experience they could expect and well, how, um, how, did you, how did you
0: decide how long each uh, each episode would be well, how did you come to a decision? So we know that uh, if it's for TV, if it's a HBO series, any of the ones that you described, an episode of Mad Men, we know that it's probably going to last, I guess, around 50 minutes if you take out the advertisements and that kind of thing. So how did you transport that to, um, I, I guess, text? <laughs> how, did you, how did you come to a decision on how long it should be?
1: We do it. Um, we're actually, that's a great question. I, uh, when we first started, I wanted to go a little bit shorter and Dave wanted to go a little bit longer. Um, But I was thinking long-term sustainability and, you know, a shorter word count is burnout. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And and the math that I used was um, same as a screenplay, which is basically a minute per page. And I figured that we wanted between 50 and 60 pages, just as you said, you know, it's about on, on, on hard cable, like HBO, you got 60 minutes to work with on something like Mad Men, which is on AMC. You've got 52 minutes. And, um, so I figured 50 to 60 pages was about perfect. That comes out to 15, 16,000 words. Um, yesterday's gone is our longest series. Each of those episodes is about 24,000 words, um, which is long. It makes a season 150,000 words. Um, so, so far we've written almost half a million words for Yesterday's Gone because uh, there's three seasons out. And for that, um, the reason we ended up with such a high word count there is simply because we didn't really know what we were doing yet, hmm. uh, kind of making it up as we went along. And the way we wrote our pilot episode was we we chose post-apocalyptic Because Yesterday's Gone, the premise is um, on October 15th, uh, all these characters wake up and the world is gone. Like, there aren't bodies. There's just the world is gone. Like, these are the only people left. Everyone's just missing. And the reason we chose that premise was because it gave us a really big sandbox where we could make up the rules. And because we could make up the rules, we could write it pretty fast. So we knew there would be six main characters. And all we had this was so fun back I mean we were just really shooting from the hip we came up with a premise this was I was staying in in California at the time I'd already moved out to Ohio and I promised my children that we would go back for the summer and it was on the the day before we were leaving and I thought okay well let's map something out I've got a three-day drive in front of me I want stuff to think about in my head um so what are we going to do? And we kind of decided that we'd have six characters. Dave would write three. I would write three. We would just write. No back. And then we would put our stories together and make it up from there. And it ended up just totally working. We put, um, I mean, if we, if we could write our, rewrite our pilot right now, there are a few things that we would change. But it's amazing that 95% of it was there. And um, our stories blended really seamlessly together. Our characters blended really seamlessly together because they're in, all in different places. So right. they have to. Uh, they didn't have to merge early on. We spent three years get, or three seasons getting them together. And when we ended this last season, everybody was finally in the same place at the same time. And but and uh,
0: how how do you ever end? Do you do you have an end in mind for for, for any of these? for any of the series do you have do you have a kind of a final point or do or are you taking the approach where you write and you kind of make it a bit go along almost
1: um a, a little of both for yesterday's gone um we actually a- kind of have an end uh the, the third season if, if you if you've read the first three seasons you can read nothing else and all of your questions are answered but how do you stay so prolific
0: though? Is there, is there ever an issue with uh, quality control, for example, while you're rushing towards uh, your, your word camp for the week or you're rushing towards uh, any potential end or just carrying on with the story? Do you ever, for example, not put, um, do, you ever not, uh, miss a, do you ever miss a deadline because you've, um, uh, you don't feel that the quality is up to scratch?
1: Um, that's a great question. Um. No, we've never missed. We actually, yes, we we've been late a couple of days um, on time uh, last year. Uh, but now, what we've done, we've kind of we took all of January off, um, and actually six weeks. We, we just launched our new season, our 2013 Collective Inkwell season last week, um, and we used almost two months—the end of last year and then the beginning of this year—to develop um material so we were way ahead so we weren't rushing week to week um because that is hard that's really really hard and and another thing that we wanted to do to really elevate i mean i'm thrilled with the quality we have our average review um across all of our titles is 4.7 stars um which, which is fantastic which, yeah that, that, and that includes a lot of hate that we have on the z uh <laughs> You know, because we, I mean, it, it's a mash. It's, we call it Walking Dead meets Hunger Games. And even though it diverges from Hunger Games by the second episode, um, you know, we definitely knew what we were doing as far as uh, we were going. I mean, it, it's funny. It's the most critically drubbed that we have, even though it's still at 4.1, mm. um, which isn't bad for a zombie book. <laughs> they <laughs> tend to get a lot of hate. Um, but even at 4.1, it's, it's both our most critically drubbed. And it's our bestseller by far. So, um, that, there you have it, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm totally, totally okay with that. You can't uh, trust readers. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's it's totally, totally fine. It, it's it's popcorn. It's not literature. It, it's 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 well written, fun escapism, just like The Walking Dead. I mean, The Walking Dead is is a great show, but it's not you know, it, it's not opera. So, um. As far as the quality, uh, I actually think that the two are totally related. I think that our quality is as high as it is because we're writing as much as we are. Um, we're just never not in the zone. Um, I mean, that's it, like, that. That it, it makes sense when you put it like that. It makes perfect sense. It, it, we don't have to warm up, you know. In fact, I'd say the hardest time I've had writing in the last few years was the first couple weeks of this year. Because the last the last two weeks of December, I had to unplug because my fingers were twitching. So I was, they were moving even when I wasn't writing, and that's kind of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife really, really, really wanted me to just like unplug a little bit. And when I had to get back in at the beginning of the year, um, it was so hard. Everything I wrote was crap, and it took me forever to make it. Um, but when it's like a basketball player who's just in their game. They're always playing. It's not like they suck because they played 80 games. You know, it's that that's that's when they're good. And I think that I think writers tend to, you know, give themselves excuses. Um it's okay that this takes this long because it's writing. And I don't approach writing that way because I couldn't afford to. Um I approached writing by the more copy I write and the better it is, the more I'm gonna make. And so there was no reason not to transport that to my fiction, and we we started out with a more leisurely schedule. We we spent for season one of Yesterday's Gone, we started in July and we put it out in, in, in August. Uh, I'm sorry, October. But when we released the second season, um, the very first uh, January, or sorry, the very first Tuesday in January. And we told them, you know, we would have it six weeks in a row, and we were watching the reviews, and people were saying things like Tuesday is the new black, and I was like, dude, we, we've got to, we haven't, we have to have a, we we can't afford to not have a series, another series to follow. Yesterday's gone, hmm. so I know we only have six weeks, but we have to, we have to have this ready by. We can't let a Tuesday go because the bottom line is there's no church meets every other Sunday. If we want to be religion, if we want to be a habit, we have to be every week. And it was really hard to do that all the way through 2012, but we did. And we've become a habit for many readers. And I want to continue to grow that habit to as many readers as possible this year. Absolutely. And one of the the
0: things you're not doing in 2013, though, is writing online, I notice. Um, And it's something that I've considered. That's an exclusive right there, not that I'm sure too many people will be incredibly upset but i 've con- i 've thought about um, uh, you know the the pressures of having twins, for example, and how that affects um, uh, m- my writing and i i 've made a promise to myself that i 'm going to have my second novel at least the first draft at the very least, uh, ready and ready to go by the end of two thousand and thirteen. i've kind of said that to myself, but then I think well if i 'm to try and continue to promote A Angelica, the first novel and to do all the well to do things like this then you know maybe i can't do all of those things and i've thought about taking myself offline completely in terms of my writing um but i i i'm kind of worried about disappearing and people not knowing who the heck i am come january 2014
1: okay. here here's a, i mean it, it's just my opinion totally for what it's worth um but i i i struggle with that a lot uh, you know and i i keep wanting to go back and um and and, and write <laughs> for an online audience but it's like the longer I don't do it, the less I want to go back. And here's the thing, man. It, and this is the total truth. It that that those people who knew who I was, it it meant nothing when it came down to it. I mean, really, sixty. I mean, I was everywhere in October, and it didn't matter because those weren't the buyers. The buyers yes. out on Amazon. And for every thousand words that you write online, that's a thousand words that you cannot write for yourself. And it's those thousand words you'll make money on for the rest of your life. Your twins will make money on your books. And they won't make money on your online stuff probably for sure. And it's just like there's only and, – and I keep – for me, I keep saying, okay, I'm going to go back. I- I'm going to go back. and. I don't know. Part of it is just the market, you know. For a lot of, for a long time, I wrote to writers, and yeah. um, I love writers. You know, like I really want to help writers, but most writers, in my experience, um, it's very masturbatory. They're not actually um, they're looking for formulas, or they're looking for success, or they're looking for they're looking for something specific that's not specific at all. And they're not interested in your book. They're interested in their book. So, like, I do the self publishing podcast every week, and I love that. And I feel like that's me giving back to writers um, because I'm very candid. I'm very honest about what's working and what's not working. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of good and helping, but it's a defined period of time. I'm not, I'm not getting lost in blog posts. I'm not, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's, it just sounds so it sounds like uh, all the things i've been thinking i've been i've i've um I, I like you i love doing this podcast this is my the favorite thing that i do and yet when i come when i sit down to to write uh, blog posts i'm thinking gosh why am i doing this but i never think that about the podcast because i know that in half an hour it's going to be done. 20 minutes editing and it's going to be something that usually i quite like i've enjoyed doing and usually i think it's valuable I think I think half an hour's worth of podcast content is really quite valuable to most most writers and and I'm kind of happy with that so it's
1: yeah yeah I would I would either keep what you're doing with the podcast or even amp that up and 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 drop the writing because if it's not really serving you then it's it's taking from you and you know I I mean I had plans to to go back and then I started Unicorn Western with Johnny and I was like okay well I'd rather do Unicorn Western than <laughs> than go back and write stuff for the digital writer. My my big enlightening moment came last year. I don't know how much of the digital writer story you know, but but I, I sunk a lot of my resources into the digital writer. I was finally starting to make some money. I really wanted to give back to the writing community and I didn't I didn't have to um um I didn't have to make money on the digital writer books. All I wanted to do I didn't even want to break even. I really just wanted to grow the site. But I spent almost – actually a little more than um, five figures um, out of my own money to get it going and to to basically give back to writers. And the community by and large behaved very selfishly and took and took and took but gave nothing back. And it really burned me out on it. And I mean I had thousands of people on the list and it meant nothing because – when I mean, for example, uh, my writing online book, which is a $10 book, and I gave it away um, to the list. I mean, again, I wasn't trying to make any money. I was really just trying to do something nice. And I said, it'd be really cool if you could l- like it. You know, that's a simple button. You click when you're on the page and just <laughs> like, right? Um, write a review, something like that. And from that that promotion – there was, um, I don't think, 8,000 downloads. A lot of them came from the list because, you know, you can see the click-throughs. I know exactly where they came from. Yeah, um, And I got like 14 likes and two reviews. And I don't know, that that that, that stuff just kind of bummed me out because I wasn't trying to... I mean, look, can we grow this community? Can you tweet this page? There was like not... A, I mean, they're just... it it really made me feel like my time was being wasted and I was screaming down an empty hallway mm. where this was at the same time that I had started the self-publishing podcast with Johnny and Dave. And I was doing that podcast and every day I was getting thank you emails yeah. and a really enthusiastic fan base. And I just thought, you know what? It's not even the reader's fault. It's that this blogging platform is dying and, um, and a lot of people are just burned out on blog and that's fine but I don't want to be that's why I'm not doing the traditional publish thing because I, I can tell it's dying I don't want to be a part of something that's dying I want to be a part of something that's fresh and exciting and new and that I can help change and shift and be at the front of and I don't want to be a, a part of you know if you start a blog today you're not going to be copyblogger you're never going to be copyblogger those days are over and copyblogger will be copyblogger <laughs> because they were there at the right time and place and um, And so, you know, I I did all the things right with Digital Writer. I knew exactly what to do. Um, I had all the numbers, but they didn't amount to anything. It it was just vapor at the end of the day. And they weren't helping me move product. They weren't helping me get my name out there in any way that I needed it to because the people who were reading that weren't reading my fiction, which is ultimately where I wanted to make my, my living. And... Beyond that, I didn't really feel like I was helping writers. I felt like it was kind of a circle jerk list. I mean, it doesn't mean there weren't exceptions, but for a lot of it, it was people who were kind of in the blogging mill, you know, worried about how to make their own blogs like not be loserville. And I, I don't know. I just felt like, it, in a way, I was kind of part of the problem, and I I didn't want to be anymore. And I think that if you were to pull back and just focus on your fiction. You wouldn't miss it that much, and you'd be happier with the, your output on the fiction level.
0: Well, that sounds like a wonderful life lesson for me, <laughs> and I, all of that made perfect sense to me, and, um, and and extremely interesting. And I think extremely interesting to a lot of people listening as well. I, I, I agree with everything that you said, but I actually I don't think I've ever had that conversation with – well, not with too many people, anyway. Certainly not live on a podcast. And I think it's I think it's a really a really interesting issue, especially the writing for other writers, which I kind of which I do like doing. But it's the value you get from it um, is
1: very negligible. small, negligible. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather just like I work with writers now, but I do it on a much more intimate level. Yes and i love that like i will always love writers and i will always part of it was just this like blind stupid loyalty that i had because when i was coming up i needed help and i looked to places like copyblogger for help and they were there for me so i really wanted to give back and i i i naively believed for a long time that that ghostwriter dad or the digital writer or these other sites that i had were the way to give back and now i see that they really weren't it was just i was doing it by rote, it's because what that's what I learned, so that's what I did on my own. But I mean, the podcast is is perfect. I'm I'm really verbal, so it's it's fun to sit there and talk. You know, with another two guys who are doing the same stuff every week. That's really fun. But the other thing, and here's the real thing that that, that I think will make the biggest difference for you because it made the biggest difference for me, and that's that you only have so much writing in you per day, and if you're writing. That's less writing that you you can do. It's less writing that your twins will get because your twins aren't going to grow up and read you know your your blog copy twenty years from now. But they will read your books.
0: (laughs) I'm going to make them read everything.
1: Yeah, right. And and that's that that drives a lot of my decisions right now. Like how are my children going to see me when they're you know reading? What can I leave for them? and you know that's why one of the reasons I picked Unicorn Western, because everything I write with Dave has a lot of four-letter words, and I, they, they just can't, can't read it yet. And uh, I feel like I'm at kind of the prime right now. I'm producing so much copy, and yet they can't really read anything. And the idea of doing something where it didn't have any bad words and they could totally read it was very appealing to me. So that drives a lot of my, my project decisions, too.
0: Indeed. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there, but I think we've probably got at least four more podcast episodes in us in the future. It's been, um, <laughs> wait, that's if you want to come back, of course. Anytime. <laughs> um, where, can, where, can, where on earth can we find all this stuff? we mentioned so many things. If you can um, try and summarize where people are to go to try and uh, to find you online.
1: Um, though well, the easiest place—it's not quite as updated as I'd like—but SeanMPlatt.com. Um, if you go onto that list, uh, there's a welcome email. It's a little outdated, but the but the the message is the same, which is you can pick any book from my catalog and I'll send it to you for free, um, except for Monstrous or Z, which belong to Amazon. Uh, but any of my other five serials, uh, I'd be happy to send any anyone who signs up for free. And I don't sell anything on the list at all. I don't do that. Um, uh, my Amazon authors page, all my stuff's there. Um, but basically I have seven serials that are running every week. Plus unicorn Western. Marvelous. And on Twitter, uh, Twitter, I'm just Sean Platt, S C A N P L A T T.
0: Fantastic. And I am on Twitter. I A I N B R O O M E. That's Ian Broom. And you can go to IanBroom.com to find out more about me. Um, And uh, that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you, Sean, for being a guest on the show. My absolute pleasure. Until next time.